if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Alan. I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us, whether you're here in the building or whether you're worshiping online uh, with us. I wanted to say thank you to Jacob uh, Justice. He preached for me last Sunday as I was in Missouri uh, for a funeral. And uh, just as really good to be a pastor of a church where everything isn't dependent on you, but you can be a church family together. And so over the last couple of weeks, I have made two different trips to Missouri, uh, and I've made a trip to Oklahoma. I've seen a friend of mine, 53 years old, literally pass away as I sat in the room with him. I've been with families as we've grieved his loss and did his funeral, and then we had Ashley's grandmother's funeral in Oklahoma yesterday, and I've done a lot of traveling and driving and all of that. In the middle of all the hubbub and everything going on, and literally as I'm getting ready to leave town the first time, I get a contact from uh, Hannah, and her son has swallowed one of those button batteries, and she's almost out of charge on her phone and so I'm trying to take her a cord and I go to the wrong hospital and I leave town and don't take her a cord and then she's headed to take her son uh, via ambulance to uh, the children's hospital in Houston and not sure what's going to happen and uh, one of our church members a couple of our church members responded that that day and provided and watched the kids and did some things with the kids and prayed with her and took her a cord and took all kinds of things, and the Lord answered those prayers, and he was able to get home that night. And so as I landed in Springfield, I found out he was headed home. Uh, this past week, I get to Springfield, and uh, I'm up there for the funeral, and I get contacted uh, that uh, someone we've been praying for that's uh, got heart issues. Uh, if you know the Fry family, their, their son-in-law, the, the, and he had an episode last Sunday, and he got life-lighted, and the good news is today, he has a heart. He got a heart transplant, and he's off of ECMO, and God is blessing in that situation and I watched as, as I grieved with my friend, who's, uh, his family, who's 53 years old, and I stared death in the face and reminded that we all have a mortal body, that we are all going to face death at some point in time. And as I grieved with my wife's family as we celebrated uh, her great-grandmother, sorry, it's my kid's great-grandmother, her grandmother's life, I've seen the full gamut these last couple of weeks and I had Jacob preach last Sunday and and my mind has kind of been a blur but here's what I've been reminded of God is with us God is faithful Jesus is Emmanuel and he's still Emmanuel today and so I don't know what you're going through I really don't I've been out of town for two weeks Although I've been texting with some of y'all and I know what's going on, whatever. I don't know for sure what's going on in your life. You could be on a mountaintop this morning or you could be in a valley. You could be shouting and singing from the rooftops how good God is and how blessed your life is. Or you could be going through the depths of despair and grief and confusion and anger. Your circumstances, my circumstances, do not change a thing about who God is. He is faithful, he always has been, and he always will be. So we're called as a church family to proclaim that faithfulness of God to one another because we need each other to remind each other of that. That's why we have hope groups. 
That's why we have serving teams. That's why we have D groups. That's why we have equipping classes. Yes, to study God's word, but also to do life corporately and communally. That's why we should also pick up the phone and call and text and drop off meals and offer to keep the kids. That's why we should pray for one another and with one another. In the midst of it all, we're called to disciple one another and to go out and point the world to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And so that's the story that we're reminded over, uh, of over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And so I encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible. And uh, let me see to make sure I have the right notes for a second. I thought I didn't. Uh, when you uh, came in, maybe you picked up a worship guide, and on the back side of that, there's a place to take notes. You can see that we're in Acts chapter 14. Next week, we'll be in Acts chapter 15. Um, I would encourage you to grab a Bible. There should be one near you if you don't already have one with you, and you can pick that up and use that. If you don't own one or you need one at the house or you know somebody who does need one, take that with you. It's a uh, gift to you today. Here at our church, we talk about being a disciple, making disciples, being the church and doing all of this to the glory of God. The question is, what does that mean? How do we live that out? Today, we're going to seek to discuss it some. You'll see there on the top of your sermon notes that the sermon title is Making Disciples in Healthy Churches. And we're going to be looking at the context of what Paul and Barnabas did as they wrap up their first missionary journey. So this section is going to finish the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas are on. Let's go ahead and look at God's Word together. We're in Acts chapter 14. We're just going to read one verse to kind of set it up, and then we'll go from there. Let's look at verse 19 together. This is a continuation of what Jacob preached last week. If you'll remember, last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra. And it says while they're in Lystra in verse 19... It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Those are two cities, Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium. Jews came from those cities, and having persuaded the crowds there in Lystra, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. That's a pretty heavy first verse to read and pause at, but that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to look at the map. I know Jacob mentioned the map last week. I'm going to look at the map again. So uh, here is the map, and just to point some things out real quick, we are in Lystra today, and then we're going to move over to Derby, And then these two cities, it refers to as Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium. Now, Paul and Barnabas were up there in Iconium and in Antioch and Pisidia, but they fleed, they fled, I should say, from there and went to Lystra because of the circumstances that they faced in those two cities. Here's what happened in verse, chapter 13. In chapter 13, the Jews in Pisidia and Antioch incited the crowd, and as a result of that, they persecuted uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they literally threw them out of the region. So they left there and went to Iconium. And then whenever they get to Iconium, Jews and Gentiles began to attempt to mistreat them, and they tried to stone them, but God got Paul and Barnabas out of there before they got stoned. So then, uh, by the way, stone, we're not talking about Colorado stone. We're talking about pick up a rock and throw it at someone and stone and kill them. Not a pleasant thought, but that's what it's talking about. And then now we find ourselves in Lystra. 
And the guys that started the trouble in Antioch, Pisidian, Pisidian Antioch, and in Iconium said, we got to finish the job we tried to start. Like, we tried to stone them. It didn't happen. Let's get the boys, and let's go on down there. And a mob scene goes from Antioch and Pisidia down to Iconium. They get some more guys. They go down to Lystra. And we find ourselves in verse 19, and we see that religious zealots from those cities came to finish the job that they had started. And just as Paul, who was called Saul at the time, had previously, before his salvation experience, had been going out to persecute Christians and hunt down Christians, it literally happens to Paul. Paul is hunted down just as he had done previously, and in this scenario, he is stoned. Do you remember the first stoning that we read about in the book of Acts? It was Stephen's stoning. Do you remember that? Do you remember who was standing there? watching and giving his approval and standing by the coats as they laid him at his feet. None other than Saul, who is now referred to as Paul. Perhaps as those stones are hitting him, I don't know for a fact, but perhaps he's flashing back and remembering that time with Stephen. The fact that, that Paul does not die and yet he was persecuted and stoned is a fulfillment of a verse that we read in Acts chapter 9. When Paul is saved, do you remember that, that he finds out that God has a purpose to use him? And here's what we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. God says, for I will show Paul how much he must suffer for me. Paul's been suffering all along, and now he literally is stoned. Now look down at verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So here's what happened. They pick up stones. They hurl them at, at, at Paul. They presume he's dead. He's bloodied and, and got a concussion, I'm sure, and just all kinds of injuries. And they drag him out and leave him for dead, thinking that he is dead. The disciples gather around him. I don't know for a fact, but I anticipate the disciples came up to him. And they're like, going, all right, who's going to dig the hole? Like, are we going to drag him? Are we going to carry him? How are we going to do this thing? And they circle around him, and Paul's going, hold up, guys. I'm not dead yet. But as cool as that is, the most impressive thing is, I mean, God's powerful. He can do anything. Like, he, brought him, he could have brought him back to life, but he never died. He, he's alive. Here's the most amazing thing beyond the fact that he didn't die. At, at the end of, middle of verse 20, he rose up and went back to the city. Like, he just got stoned, and he's going to walk back into the city. How many of you in this room realistically would know for a fact that if you were somewhere, you were stoned for your faith, and you didn't die, you would drag yourself right back into that same city where they tried to do it to you? I don't know if I would or not. I'd like to think I would. I don't know. It's quite a bit of bravery and control from the Holy Spirit that Paul had. Here's the thing that I put down in my notes. By God's grace, Paul survived. And because God's grace helped him survive, he gets up, goes right back into the city to tell others about God's grace. Only by God's grace did he survive that stoning. And his agenda is still to preach the grace of God to the men and perhaps the women that had hurled those stones at him. So he goes right back into the city. Nothing would deter Paul from boldly proclaiming and preaching the gospel. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on myself or you, 
But how often do we go, eh, I don't really have time to talk to that neighbor. I need to get back in the house. Like, doesn't he know the Cowboys game is about to kick off and I need to get in the house to watch it? I don't want to be inconvenienced to talk about Jesus because I got to go watch his team on TV. Here's Paul. He's been stoned. He gets back up, goes back in the same city, then the next day goes on to the next city. Like, let's get back on this missionary journey. Let's go back to the next city. They go down to Derby. I don't know for sure how he traveled it. It's about 60 miles. But the next day, he heads off to Derby and then begins the missionary journey again. Let's read some more verses. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23, about what took place in Derby. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. So we don't know how long they were there because they preached, people were saved, they made disciples, there's work going on there. It says, Then they returned to Lystra, where he had just been stoned. And then they went to Iconium, where the guys tried to stone him. And then they went to Antioch and Pisidia, where the mob came from originally. They went right back through the, 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 the death trap, if you will. While they went through, it says, they strengthened, it says strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So after preaching the gospel in Derby, Paul again does the unthinkable. He's like, we didn't face any, I don't know for sure, but it's not listed here. Apparently they didn't really face any persecution or major hardships in Derby because it probably would have said that. But he goes, all right, we need to go right back through. I need to go right back through Lystra and then the same journey that we took when we first got here. Why in the world would they choose that route? I want to show you the map again. And I want to show you the, map, the route I probably would have chosen. Remember, they started in Antioch in Syria. They went this solid line, and then the dotted line is the path that they will take. If it was me, and I just got stoned, and I was threatened, I'd probably leave Derby and head over to about right here where this river is, because that's Tarsus. That's Saul's hometown. And then I probably would have just kind of come on down here to Antioch. I would have said, guys, we had a good run. I'm going back to the house, right? But no, instead, they go a further distance, and then they have a boat ride. It's a much longer trip. And it's right through the throes of everywhere where they had faced persecution and stoning. If they had gone the route I went, they would have gone about 100 miles to get to Tarsus. And then they would have gone another 85 to get to Antioch. So they would have gone less than 200 miles. Instead, they go over 300 miles by ground. And then they take a boat ride. And then they're going through the cities where the persecution took place. Why in the world did they do it? Simple answer. The simple answer is, first and foremost, God sent them there. And the reason God sent them there is because they wanted to focus on discipling the new believers, and they wanted to grow healthy congregations. 
They wanted to glorify God by doing the mission work that God had given to them. They had gone through those cities once, but they now want to return back through it so they can be a part of not only evangelizing, but making disciples and strengthening the church. I mean, we see in Derby, that's what they did, right? In Derby, it says many believed and they made disciples. So now on the return trip, they're going to do the same thing. Paul wasn't concerned with decisions for Christ. Paul was concerned with making disciples of Christ. And there's a difference there. If we're not careful, we can either with evangelism never do it, or we can do it all the time, and we go, look, got another notch on my, on my belt. Look, I made another convert. Look what I did. Look what I did. And we don't disciple them and follow them up and teach them God's word and encourage them and strengthen them. But instead, what Paul is doing is he's preaching the gospel boldly everywhere he goes, and then he's circling back through to do the hard but important work of discipling those who've come to faith in Jesus. This should define us as well. So here's the question. What are some things that healthy churches do to make disciples? I'm glad you asked. It's there on your notes. And I put the ING on it because it should be an active thing that we're doing constantly. The first one says preaching the gospel. Healthy churches make disciples by preaching the gospel. Look at verse 21. And it's actually everywhere in the book of Acts, but specifically verse 21. It says, when they had reached, uh, sorry, when they had preached the gospel in Derby." Paul's ministry was defined by preaching the gospel. Nothing stopped him from preaching the gospel. Paul showed great courage, boldness, faithfulness, and sacrifice to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is a simple yet profound thing that the Lord has provided for us to be in right relationship with him. The scripture tells us from Old Testament to New Testament that all of us are sinners. All of us have gone our, gone our own way. We've done life our own way. We've acted as if we are on the throne of our lives. And those sins are rebellion towards God. But God has a solution, and that solution is not perfect church attendance. That solution is not memorizing the right verse. That solution is not, not giving money to the church. That solution is not prayer. Rather, that solution is repentance of our sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, Scripture says that the wages of our sin is death, that all of us deserve death physically and spiritually an eternal separation from a holy, perfect God. But the scripture tells us that God sent his son, Jesus, the, the, the son of God, the very being of God himself in the flesh, and that he walked this earth and was sin-free, and yet he died in our place. And that because he died for our sins if we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins our sins can be forgiven because not only did he die but three days later he was raised again overcoming sin death and the grave you see as i stood at the graveside of steve strauss as i stood at the graveside of kathleen walden both of those individuals knew jesus as their savior and we didn't have to grieve as those without hope because we knew that their bodies had been resurrected that they are in the the presence of the lord right now 
Their bodies haven't been resurrected yet. I said that out of turn. But they've been resurrected, right? But they are in the presence of the Lord. Have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? The gospel and Jesus' finished work on the cross brings salvation. But not only does it bring salvation or conversion or justification, it also brings sanctification. And what I mean by sanctification means the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so not only does the gospel bring us conversion and forgiveness of our sins, it prepares us for a lifetime of following Jesus. So that's why we must preach the gospel. So when Paul preached the gospel, he preached it for salvation or justification, and he also preached it for sanctification for the making of disciples. May our church never cease preaching the gospel. May our church never cease preaching the gospel. And before you just jump up and say, amen, preach it, preacher, as I say, the church, may we never cease preaching the gospel. You and I are all a part of this church body. That means all of us have the task, responsibility, and privilege of preaching and proclaiming the gospel. May our church family never stop preaching the gospel. It's our job. It's all of us all the time, not just the preacher at worship services. Not only should we be preaching the gospel, number two, we should be continuing in the faith. Verse 22, it says that he came there and that he was wanting to strengthen the souls of the disciples. He wanted to encourage them to continue in the faith. And he told them or said to them that it's through tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. This idea of strengthening means unchanging in belief. So he'd come through, he'd preach once. They probably had faced some persecution just like he had. Maybe they had some doubts. He comes back through and he says, no, you've believed in the gospel. Keep believing in the gospel. Stand firm in the gospel. Continue in the truth of the gospel. Keep believing it. Do not change your beliefs. It says that it strengthened their souls. The, the word souls, we've talked about this before, the word soul in Greek is psyche. The, the Hebrew equivalent would be the word nephesh. And both of those words mean more than just our soul or our spirit because the human is not a divided being. We're, we're holistic. We, we're relational, we're emotional, we're mental, we're physical, we're spiritual. We're all of these things. And when it says that he strengthened their souls, it's actually referencing the whole being. And so what it's saying is that they were strengthened in their faith to continue believing the basic biblical doctrine that they had been taught along the way. The temptation for us is to stray from correct doctrine and faith. The temptation for us is to compromise and or doubt our beliefs. That's why here at our church we have some equipping classes, and one of those equipping classes is actually called Christian Beliefs, and we teach that class so that we can learn the doctrinal truths of God's Word so that we not only learn it here, but we also apply it to our lives and live it out. That's why we do studies of the books of the Bible. That's why the women right now are going through Exodus, right? All right, thank you. I said the right thing. And we're doing, uh, in another equipping class, we're doing the book of Acts. And we don't just stay in those particular books. We study other books of the Bible and we look to God's word and we, we want to lay a solid foundation of biblical beliefs. Side note real quick. If you're in an equipping class, if you're in a hope group, if you're in, in, in a D group, if you're in a conversation with someone else, 
and you don't know what was just discussed, ask questions. There's not a stupid question. Like if you're going, Alan's been up there talking about the book of Acts, I don't even know where it is. You said something about Old Testament, New Testament, I don't even know what those are. I'm not making fun. I'm saying some of us don't have the same foundational thing. And the reality is that we as a church family have to provide that foundation for one another. Ask questions. That's how we learn. If you're in a class or a setting, don't act like you've got it all together and you've arrived because the reality is while we, may be, uh, while we may be on different stages of our journey in our sanctification process, we're all on the same journey. Let's do this together. And so that's what Paul's doing. Paul's not coming in saying, I've got it together. He's saying, I'm seeking to follow the scripture. Won't you do the same? As I think about this uh, continuing in the faith, I can't help. I'm really careful. I don't want to be on a... Um, on a bully pulpit or whatever you call it. I don't want to just be on one topic, but it's an easy one to point to, okay? Let's think about LBGTQIA, right? If we're not careful, we'll begin to compromise, and we'll begin to say, oh, like people should just be able to love whoever they want to. Or maybe in your own family or your own Uh, friendship structure, if you have someone that's involved in homosexual activity, if we're not careful, we begin to think, oh, that's okay. We begin to shift our thinking based on our circumstances. May we never fall into that trap. God's word is true, period, the end. Now, we should share that truth in a loving fashion, but we absolutely never, ever should compromise the truth of God's word. It is a sure foundation, not because it is sure. It's because it's a revelation of who God himself is, and he is unchanging. So let's not compromise that. I'm sure you've heard of deconstruction, right? Have you heard of that recently? Now, I'm in a class right now, and we realize sometimes one person means one word, one thing with one word, and maybe somebody means something else. But deconstruction in its negative connotation, complete negative connotation would be, I was taught all this, and I don't believe it anymore, and I kind of call the shots how I am, and I still believe in Jesus, I just kind of believe in his good teachings, and I don't believe in any of the other garbage. Please don't take that sound bite, because that's not what I believe. I'm talking about the antithesis of what I believe. And we begin to deconstruct our faith. Or maybe someone's had church hurt. Or maybe someone has pride. Or someone has sin. And we begin to shift all of our beliefs based on our circumstances. May that never be the case. To be a church of disciples, we must stand firm on the truth of God's word continuing in the faith. Remain true. Stick with what you began to believe and don't quit. Here's the only way for us to continue in the faith. The only way for us to continue in the faith is to abide in Christ. Because if you're like, okay, Alan, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to make, a, I'm going to make a, a mental note to try to continue to live in the faith. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to continue in the faith in my own strength. I'm going to do this thing. No more compromise. I'm going to do it. But the reality is if we say I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to continue in the faith, we will falter along the way. But if we abide in Christ, he empowers us to live it out. You may want to jot down John 15. We don't have the time to read John 15, but when I say abide in Christ, John 15 is one of the places we can go to that is a way to point to what it means to continue in the faith by abiding in him. And then Paul finishes verse 22 
by reminding them that they would face many tribulations, struggles, persecutions, hardship, sufferings. He was the poster boy of those things, right? We will face opposition. We will face persecution. Don't run from it. Keep on keeping on. Did Paul run from persecution? Absolutely not. Did he sometimes move from city A to city B because the Holy Spirit led him to? Yes. But even when he did that, the persecution followed him. And he didn't get stoned in Iconium, but he got stoned in Lystra. Perseverance. Perseverance is critical. Paul persevered in the gospel because his goal was to glorify the Lord by preaching the gospel, continuing the faith, and making other disciples. Another thing that we do in healthy churches, and it's on your notes, is by appointing godly leaders. The way we make disciples in healthy churches, one of the ways is by appointing godly leaders. Look at verse 23. It says what they also did in those cities is they appointed elders. Notice there's a plural there. They appointed elders for them in every church, singular. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. We see here that Paul and Barnabas were in the process of setting up elders, plural elders, in singular churches all over that area where they had been. It was their desire to make sure these churches had pastoral oversight and pastoral care. They wanted each church to thrive, so they handpicked those elders, plural, for every church. But the reality is they didn't handpick them on their own because they did it as the Holy Spirit led them. How do we know that they appointed the men that the Lord led them to? We know that because verse 23, in its entirety, talks about the setting aside of elders or leaders in the church. It's not two separate sentences. It's one sentence. It's saying they made certain men elders in the churches, and the way they did that is at the end of verse 23, they did it with or by prayer and fasting, and they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. These men were chosen through prayer and fasting. These men were chosen by spiritual decision. They would be responsible to the Lord to continue the work and seek the health for the church. These men would preach the gospel. These men would help their other believers in the church continue in the faith. They would help protect these individuals from sin and error. The role of the leader and the role of the church member are both vitally important. If you don't mind, would you look with me at Hebrews chapter 13? I think it's going to be on the screen. Hebrews 13, verse 17. And this word, this 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 um. Uh, sorry, this, this verse, that's the word I'm looking for. This verse points to both the leaders and the church members and their interaction with each other. Here's what it says, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Part of what it means to be a healthy church is to have godly leaders in place. And then when godly leaders are in place, it's their role and responsibility to care for the flock, being held accountable by God himself, and the church members are called to respond to that. And in the midst of it all, God is glorified, the church is strengthened, and it's better for everybody there. We have all kinds of leaders in our church. They're spiritual leaders. We have elders. We have our pastoral staff. We have hope group leaders. We have ministry leaders. We have deacons. We have other leaders, leaders of ministry teams. None of these leaders will ever be perfect. 
But God's called us to put godly leaders in place. Another thing that we do right alongside of that is the finish of verse 23. It's there on your notes. We make disciples in healthy churches by trusting in the Lord. At the end of 23, it says that they trusted them, entrusted them. Depending on your translation, with mine it says that they appointed these elders and they committed them with prayer and fasting to the Lord. You see, the Lord is the one that was calling these people in place. They were trusting the church and the leaders themselves to the Lord's work. He would be the one to bring the nourishment to the leaders. He would bring the, uh, be the one to bring nourishment to the congregations. And in the Greek, when you read this word in the Greek, it points out that they were entrusting the elders to God's abiding faithfulness. In other words, they could trust the elders because they were trusting God. They were entrusting the elders not to their own smarts and wisdom. They were entrusting those elders to the faithfulness of God. As I started this sermon, God is faithful, he is unchanging, and therefore they could trust God with the results. They had prayed and fasted to appoint elders. Now they were committing them to the Lord all along the way. All along the way, the Lord is the one leading the process. So in order for us us as a church family to make disciples, in order for us to have a healthy church, we must trust God's work. You see, it's not our work. It's his work. Yes, we're actively involved, but it's still his work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the lives of each other. As it pertains to direction and vision and health of living hope, my question for you is, are we truly trusting the Lord? As we think about the direction and health and vision for our church family, are we trusting in the Lord? You see, disciples in healthy churches trust in him instead of themselves. Let's look at the last few verses, verses 24 through 28. They're going to continue the journey. We looked at it on the map a moment ago. Here's what it says. When they passed through Pisidia, they then came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word, that's preaching the gospel. That's what that means. When they had spoken the word or preached the gospel in Perga, which was another town, they went to Adelia, I never can say that right. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, which is Syria, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. We see here, they finished their journey where it had started. It says there in verse 26 that they went back to Antioch where they had been commended by the Lord. Look back at verse, chapter 13, verse 2. This is where the missionary journey started. They're in Antioch. They're about to be sent off. And the people of Antioch are praying together. And Acts 13, 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. We see in 13.2 that the Lord had work for them to do. We flip over to verse four, chapter 14 that I just read, and it says that they, um, they had, okay, it says verse 26, 
from where they had sailed to Antioch, where they had been committed to do the work. When they arrived, they declared all of this. Uh, somewhere it says that they did the work they were called to do, and I'm overlooking it. Um, anyway, they've been committed. They did the work that the Lord called them to do. It's a, it's, it's, it's a completed task of the work they've been called to do, but the mission itself wasn't finished because they're going to go back out on another missionary journey. The mission itself is not finished until the entire world hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this account, verses 24 through 28, we see a good example of how churches and missionaries should relate. Churches should send out missionaries and should also welcome them back, and there should be reporting and sharing with one another. I'm going to be real careful what I say here because I can't say certain things because of security issues, but here's the deal. We've got a friend and their family. He told me to say that I can say the country, so I will. They're in Indonesia. Those friends and family, you can ask me after the service if you don't know who I'm talking about, they're going to be back here. Mark your calendar. They're going to be here on May 21st. They're going to be here, and that individual is going to preach. And then after the service, we're actually going to have a meal. We'll tell you more later about how the meal is going to operate and all of that. We're going to have a meal where, where he can even share more about what's going on in that place where they live. Church family, how sad would it be if 12 of us showed up that day and six of us stayed for the lunch? Let's do what the church of Antioch does. Y'all were here, many of you were, and some of us weren't when we sent them off for the mission work. They've come back a time or two since then. They're coming back again. Let us celebrate what the Lord is doing. I want us to finish by considering a few things. How do we know that Paul's ministry was successful? Success is actually defined by being faithful to preach the gospel. But the way that we know that what he did had footing to it is this. It said he went to Derby. It said while he was in Derby, he preached the gospel. It said while he was in Derby, they made many disciples. Do you know one individual from Derby that became a Christian somewhere along the way, either directly through Paul or through one of the other disciples? Anybody know? What, did somebody say an answer? Correct answer, Timothy. Timothy, you heard that name before, right? He's in the scripture. Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Listen to this, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, is written to Timothy, who becomes a believer in Derby, and Paul refers to what took place on his first missionary journey. This is wonderful passage of Scripture. Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. He says, you, talking about Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then listen to 11. It, it's what happened in Acts 14. And my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Remember, he was stoned. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who, ha who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Everything he preached in Acts chapter 14, right? 
knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then a verse many of us are familiar with, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what it looks like to make disciples healthy churches and to follow Jesus continue in the faith. You see, Paul had a heart for the church to make disciples, to strengthen disciples, and to plant healthy churches. Paul preached the gospel. He endured in sufferings. He continued in faith. He obeyed scripture, and he was equipped, and he's calling us to do the same thing. My question is, won't you join our, us in this effort to do these things. Here's some next steps some of y'all need to take. Some of you need to join this church family. God's called us to be a healthy congregation with strengthening disciples. And if you've been attending here for a while and the Lord's put it on your heart, you need to come to membership classes this evening at 445 upstairs in room 205. You don't have to join during that meeting, but you just see what we're about. And you can see whether God's calling you to be a part of this journey. Some of you need to join the church. The second thing that some of you need to do is some of you need to jump into a hope group. Some of you need to jump into a D group. Some of you need to jump into an equipping class. Right now we're kind of in the middle of that. You might not be able to jump in right now, but the next time we have an equipping class, you need to jump into one of those classes. Because if we're going to be strengthened in our faith, if we're going to continue in our faith, if we're going to fight through the persecutions we face, we need to do it in community. Some of you need to begin serving in our church family. Here's a couple of questions for you to consider. Are you focused? Are we as a church family focused on making disciples? Or are we just focused on doing church? We're not called to do church. We're not called to attend church. We're called to make disciples and to glorify the Lord and be the church. Are we doing that? Is the gospel the message that we're proclaiming and living by? Are you compromising the faith or scripture? In what ways are you not trusting God in your life? In what ways do we need to trust God more as a church family? You see, healthy churches make disciples by following the gospel and the biblical instructions and continuing in the faith no matter what may come our way. God's called us to, tr to follow Jesus, to be strengthened in our faith, to make disciples, and to be the church. And it's worth every ounce of energy that we have. This morning we started by talking about revival. Some of us this morning may need to repent of sin before we can say yes to any of those other things. If you're a follower of Jesus, may there not be any condemnation that's heaped on your head. May it be conviction that you respond to as you repent of sin. And may we strive by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to go out from this place changed and living for him to bring glory to his name. I'm going to lead us in prayer. After the prayer is over with, we're going to sing a couple of songs together as a church family. The first song will be a song of response and you can come and share. You can pray at the altar. You can pray with me. And then during the second song, it'll be a response song as well, but during the second song, some offering plates will be passed, and you can pass those at that time. Let me pray for us.